Alright, welcome in everyone. Hope you guys are doing well. My name is Mr. Merka, the Bearded Truth, Jason Lyon. Thank you guys for coming in today. It's Friday, wonderful Friday. As always excited to wrap up the week with you guys. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, um, I am your neighborhood-friendly libertarian talking to you about politics and social issues, not just here in the country, but also around the world. Um, I'm excited for today. We've got a lot to talk about. But first, but first... The, the big thing that I wanted to really bring to you guys is one thing about libertarianism is uh, reaching out and helping out others and doing as much as that we can through voluntary means. And down there in, in, in beautiful Florida, we have stateside kava. And uh, this stateside is a kava bar that is doing a, a new operation that I think is really important. Um, it's vital. It's it's not a handout, but a hand up for people who actually want to um, make the world or not make the world, but uh, better themselves and, and be able to to take your charitable and voluntary donations in order to make it better. So Stateside Kava is doing what is called Operation P.O. Box. Now, what Operation P.O. Box is, is the... Um, the guys down at Stateside Kava are going to be going through and, and finding some, some local homeless people for them um, down in Indian Shores, Florida. They're going to find some homeless people that are looking to better their lives, looking to go out and get jobs, looking to, to, to break free of the horrible situations that they're in. And they do this from help from you. So... State, the guys down at Stateside Kava are going to be opening up P.O. boxes for the homeless. And this will be a means in which you, regardless of where you are around the country, can send in uh, gift certificates, or not gift certificates, but um, gift cards or, or send food, send send products, send whatever it is um, that you can um, to these individuals which will also enable them by having these P.O. boxes. It will enable them to be able to get a driver's license, which then they're in the state of, of Florida. They could take their driver's license that they've achieved, or obtained because they have a P.O. box, and now they can actually go out and get legal employment. Now they can start breaking that cycle all through your help. So if you guys would like to help out with Operation P.O. Box, go find the stateside Kava on Facebook and uh, you can get in touch with them and they'll be able to help you out as this rolls out. So this is this is a brand new operation. It's a big new thing to help out um, those who, who could really utilize a hand up. So anyone and everyone who wants to find them, you can go to facebook.com slash stateside kava bar. That's stateside kava bar. So facebook.com slash stateside kava bar. Go reach out to them. Go help out. Um, I am incredibly thankful that, uh, you know, we don't get to just sit here and talk about it at, at Muddy Waters Media. We don't just sit here and, and the guys down there at Stateside Kava aren't just talking about it. We're actually going out and doing something about it. So if you guys can check out or, uh, Stateside Kava on Facebook, help out with Operation P.O. Box, it would be greatly appreciated. So uh, thank you guys all for that. And now to continue on with our normal program, our normal normal show, um, 
I want to give another big shout out to Muddy Waters Media for giving me a platform to come out here and talk to you guys about politics and social issues, give you my views, my opinions, and my principles, um, all based around bringing it back to, to you, the individual. Tonight's show, we have uh, the torpedoes that flew up into the air and uh, helped ensure that we would be looking at the future with the war with Iran. Hopefully, hopefully this is not a Gulf of Tonkin situation, um, but time will tell. We're also going to be covering uh, the House, Jerry Nadler, the House Judiciary. They brought in John Dean for questioning in order to assert his his deep uh deep understanding of the Mueller probe of the Mueller investigation and um I, I wanna take a quick snippet from there and, and have Jim Jordan um have Jim Jordan's line of questioning with John Dean. Um I thought it was it was Beautifully done, and uh, I want to I want to bring that up to you guys. Um, President Trump today came out and talked about how he's going to work to fix healthcare in this country. So we're going to cover that as well as some of the responses there. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, is vacating the premises. She is out the door, and uh, that of course is something worth discussing a little bit so we've got we've got a couple good stories coming up here um within the hour thank you guys all for being here once again wrapping up the week with me it is always 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 um greatly appreciated happy birthday to donald trump today um Shane makes a great point. Without the government, who would help the homeless? Hashtag we will. And to use another line from Shane, we will pick up the shovel and we will dig. We will make the changes and we will do what is what is important and what is vital um, for our societies, for our communities. And that is us. Um, so regardless if you're a Democrat, Libertarian or Republican, we can all do our best in order to help out those around us. Welcome in, Pat. Um, all right, guys, let's... Uh, Let's get started. At first, I, I think I, I, I want to start off with Jim Jordan. I, I think I, I think this would be the best way to get started. So, the House Judiciary is still stuck on the idea that we need to push the narrative. We need to push the uh, the view that we must impeach President Trump. The Mueller report may have vindicated. Uh, President Trump on the idea that he committed some kind of, of action in order to accept Russia, in order to um, take in their help, that he was colluding with them. He was he was vindicated on the fact that he was not a part of that. Um, but Jerry Nadler and the Democrats are not satisfied with that because Trump is still in office. And so one of the things that they want to do, and, and certainly – People who've been in this kind of training know that you want to start undermining the administration in any way possible. So they bring in John Dean. Now, John Dean, if you guys um, look back at the the time of Nixon when Nixon was being impeached, you would see Jim, uh, John Dean. You would see his name pop up. John Dean was, was somebody that was... Um, indicted and pled guilty to obstructing justice. He was a, a one of the individuals taken down during the Nixon uh, Watergate scandal. 
and we'll we'll find out or hear a little bit more about John Dean um, from uh, from Jim Jordan. But I think that the big thing that we need to to see is that the Democrats are pushing a, a partisan view, a a and and so they bring in partisan figures in order to make this work. So here we have. Uh, this is going to be opening up with um, Jerry Nadler giving the time or allowing Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio to speak to this old guy, Bernie Sanders, looking like uh, John Dean. Gentlemen from uh, Ohio, Mr. Jordan. Thank you, I guess Mr. I Chairman. At a memorial huh? event for David Hamburg, Speaker Pelosi and I had a chance to discuss impeachment. Mr. Dean, who wrote that? I did. 19, uh, excuse me, one month ago, May 11th, 2019. Haven't we been too long in not giving Trump a meaningful... Hold on, I'm going to back this up for one second. 19, uh, excuse me, one month ago, May 11th, 2019. I feel like when he said 19, uh, I feel like he was thinking about 1984, but it was just that little thing that that I heard a a couple times while I was watching this earlier. Haven't we been too long in not giving Trump a meaningful moniker? Should it be deranged on, deadbeat on, demagogued on? Thoughts, please, comments. Mr. Dean, who wrote that? I assume that was mine. It was yours. 19 days ago, May 22nd, 2019, there was this. We are witnessing Trump's massive cover-up of his criminal behavior as POTUS. He's incapable of accomplishing anything. Mr. Dean, you know who wrote that? Now, what Jim Jordan is doing right here is he's taking the credibility of John Dean, and he's trying to undermine it, right? John Dean, who's been on Twitter, those were were his remarks. Um, John Dean is somebody that is a, a... hyper political person he is a partisan um he's been against the republicans in a lot of ways and here we see no difference that he is um has been opposed to president trump and he has been opposed to um to many people jimmy dean was a good son he made just made breakfast all the time yeah um and and so what Jim Jordan is doing here, and, and I think that he does a, a good job of it, is he lays out the stances of what John Dean has in his views um, by talking about those tweets. Now, during this entire video, I want you guys to pay attention to this guy right here over over John Dean's right shoulder. His facial expressions, um, try, to, try to figure out what his internal monologue is right here, um, because I think, I think it does get pretty interesting. Um, her facial expressions do get interesting, but his his ones right here, this guy right here, he is the big focus that I've been I've been watching. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm, I was on the right screen, but this guy right here, he's the guy that I've been watching. He provides a lot of good entertainment. If you are one of those creative individuals just trying to figure out what somebody else is is thinking by the views that they or by the facial expressions that they make. Respect that was me again. It was you. I want to focus on that last sentence. As POTUS, as President of the United States, he, Donald Trump, is incapable of accomplishing anything. When you made that... Now, here's what Jim Jordan's going to do, right? Jim Jordan took that little part, and he talks about in the tweet where um, it was POTUS is incapable of doing anything. Now, Jim Jordan is going to do some things that uh, really President of the United States, President Trump, had no real... Um, ability to make these changes, but he's given these credit. He's given this credit, and this is something that we've talked about many times. We've we've spoken about how the president of the United States is not somebody that can create jobs or 
um, yeah, they cannot create jobs. Now they can, of course, ruin jobs. They can take away jobs. They can destroy jobs. But it's not it's not their actions that actually enable new jobs. When you do like what President Trump did, oh, here let 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 him speak for a second, and then we'll 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 get back into it. I'll, I'll fully explain that statement, Mr. Dean. What do you have in mind? You thinking about the three point two percent economic growth rate uh, rate we had the last quarter? Thinking about the fact we got the lowest unemployment in fifty years? How about the fact the hostages are back from North Korea? Maybe you were thinking about this when you said the President of the United States was incapable of doing anything. Were you thinking about the fact that the embassy is now in Jerusalem? I mean, I think about this one. Every single candidate for as many cycles as I can remember, Republican and Democrat, have promised the American people, you elect me, we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And guess what? They get elected and they come up with a million reasons why they can't do what they said they were going to do. But this president didn't. The embassy is now in Jerusalem. So I'm just wondering, what were you thinking about when you said he's incapable of accomplishing anything? Uh now, whenever whenever you have somebody that's going to ramble off a bunch of facts, like in the way that Jim Jordan did, um, many of those things are true for the society that we're living in right now, for the economy that we're living in. And and certainly um, we did move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv over to Jerusalem. That is something that as he, he accurately described as um, Democrats and Republicans for a long time have been um, have been pushing for that. Um, but. But when it comes to the economic parts, um, the way that President Trump could get the credit was he was cutting 22 regulations for every one created during his first year in office. Um, that has been dying down. Um, if he's going to take credit for those, then I'm wondering if he's also going to take credit for the jobs lost. Is If, if we're going to give credit whenever uh, we have the growth, then – we have to we have to look at at the negative side right the the negative ramifications from the tariff wars that have already been imposed or the threats of new tariff wars and those lost or those jobs that are lost those families that are neg- negatively impacted by these um that's not going to be for our betterment um Shane Sweeney says if the economy is so great why is Trump so afraid of the federal reserve raising interest rates now this is this is one of those interesting things where we just accept the Federal Reserve for what it is. But at the core of what Shane is asking there, I think, is is a very valid question. Um, why are we afraid of what the Federal Reserve might do? Well, the Federal Reserve can hide up a booming economy by increasing interest rates. And they can also make a, an economy seem bigger and better than what it is just by merely lowering the interest rates. So it's it's really interesting that we have um, a an entity, a group of people that are capable of of fundamentally of fundamentally changing how the uh, economy is working and, and hiding or uh, emboldening the system that they're governing over and we have no way of governing them. And so I think the Federal Reserve is one of those things that Ron Paul was right and, and anyone else who drops a hashtag and the Fed and all those things, I think that they're really on a, on a good basis there because there's absolutely no control, right? We don't have control over Congress. We don't have control over the president. We don't have control over any of our government officials. And we have even less over the Federal Reserve. They have way too much power. They have way too much control over our daily lives, and they are not accountable to it in the slightest. So thanks, thanks for that, Shane. Uh, it, it was a really good point. All right, let's get back into it. 
Uh, as I have an ad down here for Men's Warehouse. Under the parliamentary rules of the House. Ooh. But this president didn't. The embassy is now in Jerusalem. So I'm just wondering, what were you thinking about when you said he's incapable of accomplishing anything? Uh, Mr. Jordan, I think that uh, under the parliamentary rules of the House, uh, I'm refrained from addressing a full answer to your question. All right. So he's basically trying to find the rules in which he doesn't have to answer. He's he's trying to he's able to cherry pick what is allowed and what is not allowed. And um the interesting thing about this, right? John Dean is trying to use that in order to protect himself, right? I don't have to explain to you um why it is the way that I the things that I say, the actions that I do, my views, my bias, anything like that. I don't have to do that because there's there's some rules out there that protect me from doing so, right? House the House and the Senate both get to create their own rules, they get to create their own um structuring. And and by doing so, right, John Dean understands exactly how to get away from that, right? This is somebody who was indicted in the past for obstructing justice, and now he's just He's not obstructing the justice. He's just not allowing for the justice to breathe. You, you weren't, you weren't refrained. And if you didn't hear that, I, I'll back it up one more time. As he finishes it, you have an uproar, an uproar of laughter, an uproar. All of the Democrats and, and I think his lawyers, maybe like two or three other people, just an uproar of laughter. Because, ooh, look at that. John Dean got one over on Jim Jordan. But but like most times, whenever the Democrats come out there and start laughing and they think it's over, um, like him or not, like Jim Jordan or not, um, Jim Jordan is one of those guys that manages to really take it back and, and, and hit back um, whenever it's a situation like that. And so let's see if Jim Jordan magically uh, pulls away with this. And I think... We all know that he does. You weren't you weren't refrained uh, you weren't refrained in your tweets and your comments and the things my you tweet, wrote. My tweets are not subject to the parliamentary. They are subject belief. to state of mind and the perspective you bring to this hearing, and I think the American people understand. Let me ask you this then: Did you? So the frame of mind, right? The the the, the inner workings of this guy. That's what he was questioning with those tweets from before. Did you give advice to Lanny Davis or Michael Cohen prior to Mr. Cohen's testimony to Congress. To Lanny Davis or Michael Cohen, oh. in the perspective you bring to this hearing, and I think the American people listen to this question. This then. Did you give advice to Lanny Davis or Michael Cohen prior to Mr. Cohen's testimony to Congress? Did you give any support to Lanny Davis or Cohen before his testimony? No. No. Well, you said on Aaron Burnett's uh, show the night before Mr. Cohen testified in front of the Oversight Committee. That Michael Cohen should, you said you had talked to Lanny Davis, and that Michael Cohen should hold his testimony as long as possible from Republicans. You didn't say that to Mr. Davis? You said it on an Aaron Burnett's show the night before well, Mr. I Cohen testified. Say, I didn't say it uh, directly to Mr. Cohen was your question. No, it wasn't. My so, right there, caught him in a lie. Do I think this is important? Absolutely not. He, he's because Jim Jordan wanted to box him in because Jim Jordan was is not doing that for that quick hit, that that quick gotcha moment, um, because Jim Jordan is doing this with a plan, with a with um, with precision. Right. He's able to to give John Dean the opportunity to not lie before Congress and is getting him to clarify because this is going to be important question was, did you give advice to Lanny Davis or Michael Cohen had, prior I, to Mr. Cohen's testimony to Congress? Yeah, I have known Lanny Davis for almost a couple decades, uh, and we have talked about it. 
And I did say, uh, as soon as you turn your testimony over, it will be picked apart. So watching this guy instructed Michael Cohen's lawyer to keep information from. Now, Jim Jordan is going to do something that is uh, pretty partisan, um, but he takes what he just said, right? Oh, well, you know, everything you're going to say is being torn apart um, from from John Dean. Jim Jordan's is now going to come out and he's going to re uh, reimagine this for you. He's going to recreate what was just said. He's going to give a nice little synopsis and it, it does go into the partisanship. But I don't think that it's inaccurate what he's about to say. Republicans to obstruct the committee work that we were doing in the oversight committee just a few months ago. You, you told that to Michael Cohen's lawyer. Uh, I didn't quite phrase it that well, way. No. You know what? They took your advice. I'm sorry. They took your advice. Did they? Yeah. Mr. Mr. Cohen that. kept his testimony from us for as long as possible. But you know what else Mr. Cohen did that day? Lied. Lied seven times. After he was, after John was just caught in a lie, was allowed, was given the opportunity in order to uh, to correct himself. I think that it's stupid whenever anyone goes after those gotcha moments. I, I real quick, um, anyone who goes after those quick gotcha moments, let me just ask a, a, a question. You give a quick answer and then try to get you on that. I don't think that that was uh, Jim Jordan's um, expectation, but I could imagine when this would be. Um, a stance that either Republicans or Democrats would take on their opposition. I think that having having a question asked in that way and then giving getting the quick answer and having that be be inaccurate, I think that'd be grounds for for some individuals to be like, oh, look at that, it was a lie under uh, under oath. And I don't think Jim Jordan was doing that here, but uh, I, I think that needed to be a quick uh, clarifying thing. And this is this is what I think concerns so many Americans. This is what concerns, I think, so many Americans about the work that's going on in this Congress, this 116th. The first, the first announced witness of the 116th Congress is Michael Cohen, a guy who sits in prison today for lying to Congress. Today, Chairman Nadler brings in front of the Judiciary Committee a guy to talk about obstruction of justice who went to prison in 1974 for obstructing justice. Okay, so he said, brings in a guy who went to prison for obstructing justice, right? There's there's two charges there. It's beautiful. Watch this. I did not go to prison. I did not go to prison. Doesn't deny the other one, but I did not go to prison. Okay. You pled guilty to obstruction of justice. I'm glad you got to stay out of prison then, I guess. What bothers me the most, though, is this committee's failure to investigate how the whole Trump-Russia thing started. This is the Judiciary Committee. We're supposed to, how this whole thing began. And I, I said this a few weeks ago, but I want to remind this committee what the Attorney General of the United States said eight weeks ago when he testified in front of the Senate. Said four important things about the beginnings of the Trump-Russia investigation. He said there was a failure of leadership at the upper echelon of the FBI. His words, not mine. Upper echelon. That's certainly true. Comey, McCabe, Baker, Strzok, Page, they've all been fired, demoted, let go. Can you can you imagine rambling off names like that of a of a of of the higher end of what's supposed to be like the most prestigious um, investigation bureau in your country? Just we just had a slew of people. We had a plethora of people that we had to demote or remove from office. <sighs> we still got a lot of faith in them. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're just Americans. We're we're the sheeple. They're gone. Some of them are under investigation by the Justice Department. He said spying did occur. He said it twice. He said there's a basis for his concern about the spying that took place. And 
He used two terms that, again, I think this committee should find frightening and should be looking into. There's Jerry Nadler trying to stay alive. And political surveillance. Scary terms. So the good news is, even though this Congress has memorandums of understanding between the key committee chairmen on how they're going to coordinate their attack on the president, even though this Congress, first big witness, first big hearing, Michael Cohen, a guy who sits in prison for lying to Congress. Can we just, can we stop and talk about this guy for a second? He's like, I'm going to be sitting on C-SPAN. I'm going to be sitting on all the major medias. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to do my hair this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to come in looking all ruffled. I am, I am the peacock. Guys, I am the peacock. Check me out. And he looks like, you know, half awake. But he probably did just literally roll out of bed and comes in. And uh, it's it's not a good day for him. But we continue. And even though we now have a guy testifying about obstruction of justice who pled guilty to obstruction of justice, we should be looking into the things Bill Barr's looking at. Now, the good news is Mr. Durham's doing that. But th- this is... This is the part, I think, that frustrates so many. Mr. Chairman, I would hope the Judiciary Committee and the history this committee has for protecting fundamental liberties would begin to look into those key issues, the whole premise for how this Trump-Russia investigation started in the first place. And I'll, I'll finish again with this. Emmett Flood wrote a letter to the Attorney General a few weeks back, made an important point. He said, we would all do well to remember if they can do it to a president, imagine what they can do to you and me. That right there, that what he just said. If they can do this to a president, imagine what they can do to you and me. This is this is exactly what I've been telling you guys about literally everything. Call it confirmation bias, call it whatever you want to call it. But this is exactly why libertarians are exactly who they are. This is exactly why I take the stances that I've been taking time and time and time and time again. The idea that they can do this against the highest echelon of the government means that you, the individual, they care even less about you. They don't, they don't worry about you at all, right? You get, you get body bagged. You get suicided two times to the back of the head. You get, you get just wiped off the face of the earth. You get your civil rights taken away without due process. You have all these atrocious things done against you. Nobody cares. But they do it against a president. They do it against the, the high, highest members of, of our government. And people cheer this on. People cheer this on. Now, I am all in favor of holding people accountable. I am all in favor of saying, look, you committed a crime. Let's, let's hold your feet to the fire just as you would hold our feet to the fire. Let's stop holding, having a different standard. Stop having uh, a double standards for one set of standards for the people and one set of standards for government officials. If if we can say if if we're going to animal farm this, that everyone is equal and some people are more equal than others, and obviously uh, elected members of of, of government are, are certainly more equal than us, um, and and they're getting destroyed, then what's stopping them? from destroying you. I'll I'll let him finish. Imagine what they can do to regular citizens across this great country. That should be what this committee most safeguards and most protects. And instead, 
We got memorandums of understanding between the chairman. We got Michael Cohen testifying for seven hours, getting advice from the witness here on obstructing the committee work and not sharing the information with us in a timely fashion. And now we got John Dean, 45 years ago, went to pled guilty to obstruction of justice and now coming in to enlighten the Judiciary Committee on Obstruction. Do you notice like as soon as he did that, he smirked a little bit because he's like, yeah, I didn't go to prison, boys. I did not go to prison. I didn't get my booty hole touched. I didn't have a single problem. Nah, I just, I just moved along and did my thing. Um, but then he gulped because he realized, he realized that his entire, the entire persona around him, he got body bagged. <laughs> John Dean's entire credibility for that entire day was wasted, was destroyed by Jim Jordan in this line of questioning. I really do think that out of uh, out of the entire day, Jim Jordan did the best uh, did the best job of. You can call it political theater, you could call it actual politics, whatever it is that you want to call it. He did the best at, at destroying John John Dean, and uh, he was extremely effective at doing so. So four seconds left. I'll let it run out. Justice, when we could be going right to the start of how this whole thing started. I yield back. John Dean. Rest in peace. 613. Mm. Rest in peace. Because you surely didn't leave us in, in peace. Uh, just absolutely body bag. Just destroyed. Um... Jim Jordan did a, did an excellent job on that. Destroy the credibility. Let him let him come out and and prove that he was standing once again on the side of obstructing justice. Now, John Dean has also written two books. Now, this was something um, I don't. I, I think that Jim Jordan had talked about it in this one. I I may have missed it, but um, I know other other members of the House had talked had spoken about this. John Dean had written two other books. After being a part of the Nixon administration and, um, you know, and pleading guilty to obstruction of justice, he then goes on to write two books and make, uh, make a profit off of the idea that George, George Bush was just as bad as Nixon. Or no, sorry, that was George H.W. Books. J. George H.W. Bush was just as bad as Nixon, and then he went after George W. Bush for for the Iraq War. So he wrote two books going after Republicans, and that was brought up. That was that was another big thing, right? This guy is just trying to make monetary gain. He's just trying to come out here and uh, build up his name. And Jerry Nadler's playing along with it. Isn't that some dirty crony capitalism? If I ever heard it, right? The idea that you have the state bringing in a guy that's going to make uh, make money off of the ideas that he's pushing, the narrative that he's been pushing, and it happens to coincide with the narrative that the Democrats are trying to push. So when all of these things just come together serendipitously, it just works out. He makes a little. He makes a better book. He gets more publicity. He makes more sales. He pushes it back. You know, everybody wins at the end of the day, and potentially you could lead to the public hating Trump enough. And, um, you know, destroying the credibility. I really think that this was a pointed attack. This was um, the continuing of the narrative that the that President Trump is nefarious and is out there just to 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 destroy the country, to fill up his pocketbooks and everything else. 
and uh, Jim Jordan and, and a couple others had really thwarted this. It was literally a, a bomb that they were trying to blow up on Trump and it blew up in their faces. Um, I, so Jim Jordan does a great job on that tonight or not tonight, but right during that day. I want to progress on talking about another big blow up. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is now leaving. She is leaving. After three and a half years, our wonderful Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be leaving the White House at the end of the month and going home to the great state of Arkansas, tweeted out President Trump yesterday. Sarah Huckabee Sanders has been the, um, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, she's been the person that everyone loves or everyone hates. She had the job of being President Trump's press secretary. That is not, that is not in any way an easy job. That is not in any way a job that many people will envy. As we've covered Sarah Huckabee Sanders and her responses and her um, press meetings, she has been one of those um, that has had to always be one step ahead. She's always had to figure out what Trump was going to be on on the next day, um, where he was. She had to have that mental, uh, the mental link between the two, uh, between her and the president, because if she misstepped, and we saw this from other other members of the administration. If she misstepped, that meant a huge blowback against her and against the president. So she had a very, very difficult job. Um, and, and I think that certainly under those circumstances, Sarah Huckabee Sanders did a great job. Um, I'm not always necessarily a big fan of her. Yes, she has uh, she has said lies. She was one of those individuals that was pointed out in the Mueller report as um, saying one thing to the public and then testifying in a different way to the Mueller team. Um, so, I, but nonetheless, I think that she did a, an excellent job, and I want to want to go through here with you guys a little bit. So, first off, this is from the New York Times, and if you don't think that they are uh, partisan at all, or sorry, the Washington Post, Oop. Sarah Sanders was the disdainful queen of gaslighting. This is from Margaret Sullivan. Ooh, Margaret, you're so edgy. Ooh, don't cut yourself on the edge there, girl. Um, she was not the only one to come out and, and to attack. So this is from Dessert News. Sarah Sanders is now leaving the White House. Here's how the media and politicians reacted. Of course, President Trump, as I was reading, she's a very special person with extraordinary talents who has done an incredible job. I hope she decides to run for governor of Arkansas. She would be fantastic. That's right. If you are one of those individuals, if you are one of those individuals that can talk to the public real good, if you can talk bigly, if you can talk about big walls and you can smack reporters around, You'd be a fantastic governor of Arkansas. I don't know how those two correlate, but so Donald Trump is endorsing her for becoming governor of Arkansas. We will see what happens with that. Uh, here we go with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. He, of course, is right now, as 2020 is coming up, as there are murmurs of him getting primaried, and he certainly should be. Um, Lindsey Graham, of course, takes the side of President Trump. I really appreciate the terrific job that Press Secretary Sarah Sanders has done at the White House. For over two years, she has dealt with the hostile press for an insatiable, insatiable desire to go after the Trump administration for everything under the sun, i.e. Trump derangement syndrome. Sarah has been tough, informed, and a great sp spokesperson for the president. She should take pride in service rendered. Sarah will be missed in, in a tough act to follow. 
I agree. It will be a tough act to follow. Um, but that's, that's interesting. Ben Shapiro, of course, is still on the mooch. Scary moochie. Uh, Governor Mike Huckabee said he was proud of his daughter. Of course he is. Uh, Governor Mike Huckabee has always been on the side of Trump for a lot of things. And certainly when his daughter was there, which was the whole time, uh, he maintained on that. Uh, Megan Garber from The Atlantic. Uh, Katie Rogers and Peter Baker of The New York Times. And Margaret Sullivan, which is the one we just talked about. And Joe Lockhart. Um and of course, Brian Stelter, all talking about how she wasn't there. Um, partisanship is bad, and and Stelter said last month the reporters noticed there was literally a coating of dust on the press briefing room podium. This is Sanders' legacy. Brian Stelter, you know that unbiased, that nonpartisan guy that will happily go after any and all uh, Republicans, but leave the Democrats out for whatever reason. Um, trying to trying to take the partisan hat off. It's a sad. It's just sad. It's sad that Brian Stelter, you know, reliable sources, got so much of his information wrong. But partisan attacks continue on. I I love it whenever you have partisan journalists talk about partisan partisan attacks or partisan hacks. It's just like, man, how's that? Do you like your entire house? How many mirrors do you have? Do you do you actually own any? Do you have any? Because you really got to find one. You really got to find one. There's there's Big issues, bigly issues there. Um, all right, now we gotta go to some depressing news. Um, the Gulf of Tonkin, the Gulf of Tonkin. If you guys haven't heard what the Gulf of Tonkin is, the Gulf of Tonkin was back in 1964, and and it also happened in the last week here in the world. Um, it rhymed. It didn't. It didn't repeat itself, but. Gulf of Tonkin was back during the Vietnam War, or actually just there before, when North Vietnam and South Vietnam had um, had some issues, had some scuffles, and North Vietnam was about to have a communistic uh, leader, and the idea that he was going to take over South Vietnam and uh, control that was a big scare for South Vietnam. They were worried, they were terrified, and uh, they had actually worked with America so that America could come in and perform some intelligence survey. Um, they could get, they could uh, perform a reconnaissance in order to gain intel and to be able to help provide that information out. Now, part of this, because of the time that they were living in, um, we had to worry about, or we had to actually bring a boat close. We had to bring ships nearby because um, it was all done by boat. So the United States Navy brought a ship along into and right up next to North Korea. Now, during this time, of course, North Korea, or sorry, I said North Korea, North Vietnam. Now, with North Vietnam, they see a boat coming. They're going to want to repel borders. They're going to want to keep their borders safe. You have somebody coming from another country. You don't know what they're doing. And, and certainly if they knew they were doing an intelligence reconnaissance, they wouldn't want them there anyways. So the North Vietnamese send a boat out towards the United States Navy vessel. On the way out there, the United States Navy vessel shoots a couple shots across the brow. This is this is considered a warning shot that says, hey, you're coming near us, leave us alone, get away from us, and uh, you only get one set of warning shots from the American, uh, American boats. In response to this, the North Vietnamese boat shot torpedoes 
They shot torpedoes and they missed. I.e., they shot warning shots saying, no, 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 no. You're not going to repel us from the waters. We are going to repel you from our borders. And as a result, as a result, the captain of the boat called into the White House, got, got in touch, or sorry, into uh, over to D.C., got in touch, and relayed the message that they were shot at. So the warning shots were, were them being shot at. A couple days later, I believe it was two days later, uh, the same boat, the same captain, come floating back down the across the ocean or across the sea and coming up to North Vietnam once again. Pulling up to the Pulling up to the countryside, uh, the North Vietnamese send out another boat in order to repel their borders. And during this time, I'm sorry, they did not send out a boat. But there was a call from the same boat that was sent, the American boat, and that sent the same message that they were being shot at. The mess, there was a second message that was relayed just after the first that was saying we had bad information. Now, the reason for the bad information, the reason why everyone freaked out, they weren't sure if it was a, a hardware blip from, from the previous torpedo strikes or torpedoes that were in the water or if it was uh, the increment weather that they were facing. But nonetheless, the idea was there that they had a, a reason to sound the alarm, and now they weren't sure what it was, but it wasn't an actual torpedo. Nonetheless, from 30 minutes after the first after the first message was sent, the order was given for bombing runs across North Vietnam. That was the initiating event for us to get involved in the war in Vietnam. Now, what has happened here? right next to uh, UAE and Iran, is there were two Japanese uh, oil cargo boats that were bringing oil. And both of them became under attack. There has been reporting by the United States intelligence, as well as the president, that these were torpedoes that these are not torpedoes, but these were mines and that they were Iranian mines. So are we going to get involved in Iran? Well, we'll have to wait and see. But nonetheless, if you look at the video that the president and that others have pointed out, they're pulling something way above the waterline. This is something that was pointed out also by the president of the Japanese company um, that, that owns those ships that the, the mines were located above the waterline, so it's curious as to how they got up there. But nonetheless, the crews on those uh, ships said that it was actually things flying through the air. So it wasn't underwater, so it's not a mine, it's not a torpedo, but could have been something else. There's speculation as to if it was a Saudi Arabia, if it was another country, or if it was just America, how this was all unfolding and how this is playing. But nonetheless, the big thing here is that there's no clear answer. The Japanese owner of a tanker attached in the Gulf of Oman claimed Friday that it was struck by a flying projectile contradicting reports by U.S. officials and the military on the source of the blast. So it was a flying projectile. President Trump 
said that it was a it was a um it was a mine. So we don't have a clear message. We don't have clear intelligence on this. The the intelligence video that was provided was the boat of Iranians coming up and pulling a pulling something off the side of the boat. Maybe it was a bomb. Maybe it was a mine. The the thing is though, to say, look, there's a mine there. They're taking it off, and so therefore, you know, they're they're bad bad actors. It would be interesting to understand what it is that Iran is going to gain by attacking two Japanese boats. It's going to be interesting to try to understand what kind of power move they're doing and what they're to gain by this. I don't see any way that this is going to be better for them, so this may be another bad actor in the area trying to get the involvement of others, right? If you could blame it on Iran and you could take Iran out, you may have a little more freedom. You may have a little more uh, room to breathe in that area, um, whether it's it's directly in the oil trade or in other forms of trade. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worrisome world right now. It's I don't want to see us going into another giant, endless war and into another endless conflict uh, much like what we have in Iraq, much like what we have in, in Afghanistan. Um, we don't need to keep getting involved with all of these things. What we need to do is find ways of getting out. We have to get out, and that's that's it, right? We we can't we cannot continue to thrive and survive um in America under the under the pretense that we are in endless wars around the world. All right, I got one more big story, and then uh, we're going to talk about law enforcement. We're going to talk about law enforcement. So that's going to be exciting. I know you guys are super excited to hear about what it is this libertarian is going to say about law enforcement. But, so President Trump comes out today, and he is trying to, trying to fix our healthcare system. Now... Whenever whenever a government official, whenever anyone in government says, we are going to fix your blank, the pucker factor becomes real for me. I become terrified. What kind of ways are they going to manipulate the market? What kind of ways are they going to force the market into some, some giant circular hole with their giant square block? What are they going to try and force into this that is not going to work? Well, President Trump surprised me a little bit. President Trump is actually looking um, to expand options and drive down the cost of health care by enabling employers to give workers tax-exempted funds to allow them to purchase health coverage on the individual market rather than obtaining a plan through their places of work. So if your company has crappy health care, and, and trust me, there's a whole group of people um, or a whole slew of, of companies that have just terrible, just terrible health insurance. This is a way that they can still provide for their employees and their employees can get a better health care plan. They can take care of their families and they're still, they're still being subsidized a little bit by their, uh, by their employers. Now, to understand where this came about, this did come about from the Affordable Care Act. This was put in under President Obama, and it was something that helped destroy the market for individuals. 
because you had to pay for these giant things and there was they're just it, oh, the prices were were driving up the premiums under Obama under the Affordable Care Act have been skyrocketing and so this was a way to fight this this was a way to push back against this this is something that I agree with right the idea that you get out of the way that the government gets out of the way this is why those 22 regulations being cut were a good thing for everyone created um, because when the government gets out of the way those markets can do better if the if the government's trying to put their thumb on it the only thing that they can do is suppress it they can slow it they can they can um they can defeat it but they cannot cause it to to thrive they can allow it to thrive but they can't cause it to thrive and so this would be a good thing um for them to step out of the way and for allow individuals who work for companies to be able to be um enables them to be able to be subsidized by their employer if their employer decides to. Good thing. But here's what Nancy Pelosi has to say about that. The president's cruel hypocrisy knows no bounds. While he claims to want affordable coverage, his Justice Department is is busy arguing that courts could destroy protections for the people with pre-existing conditions and strike down every other protection and guarantee of the affordable health care for America's families. Now, President Trump himself is a fan of pre-existing conditions. This is where one big way that he and I differ. I don't think that it is um, that we force a market to service people that they would otherwise not want to. Now, I if you have a pre-existing condition, I would hope that you would have insurance. I would hope that it, we'd be able to get the government out of it enough to where everyone can afford health insurance. But I would never demand that somebody provide you a service that or a service. That is going to be to the detriment of themselves. They should be able to pick and choose. And now if they're in a contract, if, if you guys are both well within your contracts and working together within those bounds, they shouldn't be able to refuse it. But Nancy Pelosi here is just projecting that it's the Justice Department looking to take this down. Nancy, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I don't think President Trump's going to allow that to go. Um, he's going to like argue with it within his own um, Department of Justice to ensure it doesn't go. Um, but really, when it comes to it, right, the Affordable Care Act, which is something that she's defending, is not made uh, health care any more affordable. It has not made it any better. The quality of care in this country has gone down. The cost for health insurance has gone up directly because of the Affordable Care Act. Remember, the blueprints for the Affordable Care Act was to push single payer. It was to push to get rid of insurance companies, to get rid of all of these insurance companies, to, to push people onto the government's teat. And once you're on it, it's just like being on heroin. You are addicted. Don't pull me off the teat. Don't pull me off the heroin. I need this. I need this to live. I need this to survive. And that is what they were pushing. So I'm I'm happy to see that coming from President Trump. Uh, Pelosi, the, the Speaker of the House, who's losing more and more support each day because the left is further to the left and she doesn't she doesn't agree with them. And uh, I'm 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 excited for the day in which the Department of Justice is, on Friday released a legal. Oh, oh. Um, I'm excited for the day in which she is no longer the Speaker of the House um, because whoever it is, whoever runs the House, you can't do a worse job than, than Speaker Pelosi. 
right? You put she put Alexandria Ocasio Cortez in finances. She put her over there, right? Mm. Put a bartender in there that uh you know, despite jumping from the basically unemployed bartender wages that she was living off of to $174,000 a year is not enough. It is simply not enough for a member of Congress to come in for their first year who's been in office for six months, who dis- before before she even came to office said that members of Congress should not be paid during shutdowns, comes into office during the times of the shutdown, accepts the paychecks, accepts every single cent of those paychecks during the times of the shutdown, then continues on for six months, takes out jobs from New York by, by shutting down a, a deal with Amazon. We're advocating against it and getting that deal shut down. And then saying, I'm doing a good job. Give me more money. Now, what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said um, with regards to this subject, to, with regards to this entire topic, she said a lot of things that automatically uh, contradict her, themselves. But it's 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 truly laughable um, <clears throat> because... She said, it's not even like a raise. Because it's only $4,500 that she wants to, that she wants to raise. It's not even like a raise. So the question is, if it's not even like a raise, or should I do it like her? It's not even like a raise. Um, it's not even like a raise. So if it's not like a raise, then why are you advocating for it? If it's not going to make any change, why are you going to advocate for it? And she continues on down this terrible line of thinking into saying after, I believe that the not like a raise is after this, but nonetheless, she talks about this $4,500 a year is going to help keep out the dark money. You give, you give members of Congress $4,500, you bribe them with $4,500 a year, and they will no longer accept bribe money. They will no longer accept the dirty money, the dark money, as she, she continually goes after. So you just got to give your member of Congress a little more money, and then now magically they're no longer going to be corrupt. They're no longer going to be uh, accepting all this money from other outside sources because that $4,500, getting them just under the cusp of $200,000 – is enough to keep them satisfied. AOC, not the smartest of people. And she she just continually does this to herself. All right, I want to give another quick shout out real quick. If you guys missed the intro of the show, I got to talk to you guys about Operation P.O. Box. So down there, down yonder... In Indian Shores, Florida, stateside Kava, and they're pushing a new form of outreach and a new form of help through voluntary means. They're doing Operation P.O. Box, where they're going to be um, opening up P.O. Boxes for um, <coughs> for homeless people that they've screened and that want a hand up in order to help get um, get back in on their feet and be able to to function. In our society, in Florida, you require an address, and that can include a PO box in order to get a license. If you if you get a license, then you're able to work. So this operation is not only going to be able to get them 
in those means of being able to get a job. But this also means that you, the individual, can voluntarily send gift cards. You can send um, support. You can send letters. You can send money. You can send whatever it is that you want to to these to these P.O. boxes in order to help out. If this is something that you can do, we would all appreciate it from here at Muddy Waters as well as at from Stateside Kava. If you go over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Stateside Kava Bar. That's Stateside Kava Bar. Go on over to the Facebook page. Again, that is Stateside Kava Bar. Um, contact them through that, and uh, we will get you in touch and, and get you to be able to help others. And uh, it is... Greatly appreciated each and every time. So if you guys could do that, help out with Operation P.O. Box, and that is Stateside Kava, go to their Facebook page and help out. We would all be eternally grateful, and that is what the Liberty Movement is about. It's not just about talking about being charitable. It's not just talking about helping out, but it's actually being about it. And so any help, eternally grateful. Thank you all. Um I'm going to I'm going to give this one real quick one. Uh this was a little bit breaking just before I I hopped on the show tonight. Actually here. Let me open up the call line if you guys would like. The call line is number is up if you guys want a topic that you guys want to cover, you guys uh, have a, a different view or if you just want to call and talk about anything under the sun, uh you guys can call in at 802-671-5328. Again, that number is 802 802- Six seven one five three two eight. But so this was dropped just before I went live with you guys. Justice Department releases legal opinion backing Treasury's refusal to release Trump's tax return. The DOJ on Friday released a legal opinion backing up the Treasury Department's decision to reject a request by congressional Democrats for six years of President Trump's tax returns. I don't want my tax returns released to to Congress. I don't want them to be subpoenaed. And um, this is one of those things where even regardless of your views on on who the president is, they should never be mandated that somebody gives up something about their own personal information to others just because they want it. While the executive branch should accord due due deference and respect to congressional requests, Treasury was not obliged to accept the committee's stated purpose without question, and based on all the facts and circumstances, we agree that the committee lacked a legitimate legislative purpose for its request, Stephen Engel, an assistant attorney general in DOJ's Office of of Legal Counsel, said in a 33-page opinion. The opinion comes after Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin last month rejected a subpoena from White House Ways and Means Committee Chair Richard Neal demanding Trump's personal and business tax returns from 2013 through 2018. When Mnuchin rejected Neal's request, he said he did so upon the advice of the DOJ and that the Justice Department would push a legal opinion with its advice. Everyone expects this to go to the courts, um, but with this, it's the hubbub here, right? The demand, the hope, the the praise or the prayers of finding something anything absolutely anything to find whatever tiny little crack they can find in order to go after president trump that's what the democrats really seem to be focused on 
and they do genuinely um, have that derangement about themselves. They 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 can't get over themselves. There there's no way for the left to come back and to fix themselves and to actually be responsible to be. Uh, Caring about you, the individual, all they care about is 2020 is coming up. What can we do to make President Trump look bad? What can we do to make the Republicans look bad? Because we want the government to grow in our way. The, the Republicans are growing in their way. We want to grow it in our way. Um, let's have the partisan fights. Let's have this, this stupid, um, political charades, these, the, these, these theaters and, uh, let's grow the government in our way. And I, I, it, it it truly is disgusting. It's disgusting when Republicans do it, and it's disgusting when Democrats do it. Now that we have the Democrats lineup, they've got two days of of Democratic uh, presidential hopefuls on the debate stage. That'll be interesting to watch. I just can't wait to see them falling over themselves. As one person, you know, you're gonna watch like the question's gonna come out, and they're gonna go through the whole line of people, and you're just gonna watch. And if you were to take the if you were to take the spectrum of left to right, you hit the first person, and it's just going to continually keep driving left, 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 and they're going to be stumbling all over each other to see who can who can really rile up the left, and and I think they're all going to be missing out that they need the independence if they want to do anything, and they're not going to be they're not going to be picking up on that in any appreciable way. <sighs> all right. Promise you guys, I would be talking about cops. So, a lot of people, a lot of people, whenever you talk about officers, when you talk about the police state, when you talk about um, the actions of the police officers, there's a lot of, of hubbub and a lot of, of hysteria on both sides. Let's, let's be honest. There are people that look at the officers and they say the only time an officer is being bad is whenever they um, they they escalate. They escalate the amount of violence above what is necessary. So, you know, you have grandma walking down the street and an officer comes up, tackles her, punches her, tasers her. And uh, the entire time she's knocked out, you know, that would be enough to, to raise the concern for, I think, anybody. On the opposite side, an officer can be walking down the street and, you know, somebody could be jaywalking, a semi-truck's flying around the corner, the officer tackles the person in order to get them out of, get them into a safe way, and, you know, there will be people that become deranged and they go, I can't believe that that officer did that, right? You know, there truly is people on both sides of this that just don't have any real, uh, They're just so detached from the premise of this all. I am not either of those people. I am somebody that supports the law enforcement when the law enforcement is protecting on the basis of what the government is supposed to do. The government is there to not take, to not hurt people and to not take their stuff. When the law enforcement is there and they are only providing protections from people who are trying to hurt you or take your stuff, I agree with them. But the problem is, is that we have this this document that governs over the government. And that is the Constitution. 
There are multiple reasons. There are multiple amendments that are constantly being violated by officers. And I'm I'm trying to reach out and I've contacted or I've spoken with a couple of sheriffs up to this point. Um, but we need to really reel back what it is that our law enforcement officers are, are allowed to do or what they're, they're capable of doing. And, um, so I had, I had a friend, a personal friend who had made a long point or a long post. And, um, you know, he is one of those that is more of, of an apologist. I, I wouldn't say that he may not, he may not be one of the blue thin blue line advocates, but he is one of those that will, um, you know, justify a lot of the actions. And basically the end result was that he said that 10% of cops versus the public interactions have been bad. And he was using an exaggerated number. But what I, hmm, here was my response. And I hope that you guys can, can, Follow through on this and, and hopefully it works out for you guys. When officers uphold unconstitutional laws because it, it's the law, that is worth condemning. Many of the laws they justify as law are not supreme to the Constitution. and The Supreme Court is just as contemptible for their opinions based on others' opinions called precedent. This is why some laws are considered repugnant and the officers who hold them are treated the same. It's not just when they become violent or harass people. Obviously, those are, are bad things, right? When they are violent or, or harass. Now, you may be wondering, what is it that, what are the, the, the basis? What are these actions and laws in which the officers are not upholding the Constitution, but instead in direct violation of it? So, if you look at the DUI checkpoints, this is something that has been protected by Supreme Court opinions, and that is that the Fourth Amendment actually prohibits a DUI checkpoint. So what is a DUI checkpoint? A DUI checkpoint is, uh, of course, most of us have driven, but but the in essence, from the legal standpoint, from, from the standpoint of what the officers are doing, they're saying anyone and everyone who drives down this specific road during this specific time, we are allowed to stop, ask you questions, investigate. So if something is out in the open, we have the probable cause and we can do whatever it is that we would like to do. So the this is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. So probably should have had these amendments pulled up, but we will pull them up right now. So the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue. But upon probable cause, which is something that they, they try to obtain by the DUI checkpoints, supported, supported by oath or affirmation from a judge, right? You come to them with evidence. They give the, the judge will say, look. Um, as this continues on, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So you come to the judge, you have evidence, you're like, hey, Bob Dole down here. Sorry, Bob Dole, I know you rest in peace, but uh, Bob Dole's living on this this house. We think that he has these things, and uh, so we want to go check it out, right? You bring that to the judge. The judge says, yep, you can go into this house. You can go, um, you can search this house and these things can be seized that are within the within the scope of what you believe is acceptable. That is how the Fourth Amendment is actually applied to the government. But when it comes to the DUI checkpoint, maybe the judge says, hey, look, here's the scope. 
this road, anyone who drives past you now have probable cause. Anyone who drives past you, you can pull over and you can ask them for help. So Fourth Amendment does not apply there. So driving down a certain road at a certain time means that an officer has a reasonable justification to stop, question, and even search vehicles who drive down the road. That doesn't sound reasonable at all. When it comes to those searches, they must be by oath or affirmation, and of course the scope must be granted. A blanketed check them all by a judge does not meet the tenor of the amendment. You, um, <clears throat> when it comes to civil asset forfeiture, this is something that I've I've harped on before. You guys all, I hope you guys all remember what civil asset forfeiture is. But civil asset forfeiture is whenever an officer um, is basically taking the assets from somebody. Right, you're driving down the road and you're a drug dealer, so they take your car. Right now, they're they're taking your asset. They're they're trying to um, prevent you from continuing to commit a crime. Here in South Carolina and across in many states. Civil asset forfeiture is allowed even if there's no charge being alleged against you. This is a clear violation of the Eighth Amendment. So there's 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 the basis here that if we really want to start holding our government accountable, if we if we want to be um, and, and I see this all too often on the left and on the right where they say, look, here in the Constitution, right here, we need to uphold this part, but we don't hold it unanimously. We must hold these things unanimously for all members of government, and that includes, includes law enforcement agencies. Um, it's not that I hate cops. It's not that I am deranged when it comes to cops. It's not that I, I see a cop and I'm like, you know, hide my drugs, hide my flamethrowers, hide all these things that are illegal. It's just a matter of if the cops are there to protect and serve, it should not be the state that they are protecting and serving us with fines and fees. They should be there protecting us from people who seek to do us harm or to take our stuff. And so I hope, I hope that with those those two quick examples that I gave, um, and with that understanding, you people can start understanding that just because we stand against the law enforcement that we have doesn't mean that we oppose law enforcement outright. Um, it's it's been a big giant misconception. It's been a, a a big giant hubbub for a lot of people that they believe that libertarians are in, in, inherently against the police. And I would argue even that. Um, the most libertarian of people um, are are still in favor of some form of law enforcement. They just maybe not a government ran one. But with that, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna head out for the night. I'm gonna head out for the weekend. I hope you guys all have a great weekend. It is Friday night, so do not drink and drive or ride with those who do. You have family, friends who care about you and love you deeply. And they want to see you get back here safe and sound for Monday as we start the whole week all over again. So thank you guys all. Take care. Have fun this weekend, uh, spend spend some time and relax, and I'll see you guys on Monday. Have a good one, and I'll see you guys soon. I am Mr. Murka, the Bearded Truth, Jason Lyon.